Good morning. Good morning. Perhaps it's afternoon by now. Uh, <laughs> it is a great privilege to be here with you, uh, to worship with you. And let me start uh, this morning with a question. Um, how many of you have ever uh, realized the truth in the saying that you get what you pay for? Show of hands. <laughs> let me um, let me just follow that up quickly with another question. Any musicians in, in the room? I know there's obviously some, but any more? Um, let me tell you a story. Uh, let's go back in time to 1994. I saved up my paper route money, $300 or so, and I purchased my first guitar. It was a cheap Fender Stratocaster copy. It had a humbucker in the bridge position, two single coils, and it sounded like garbage. <laughs> that may have had something to do with the person playing it, but it was a cheap guitar. Now, if you've ever had the privilege of playing a Gibson Les Paul, the, 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 the full body oomph of a Les Paul, or a, a Fender Telecaster, the growl, the dirty growl of the Telecaster, or the, the mellow punch of, of a Strat, a real Strat, uh, or the, 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 the crispness of a, of a hollow body electric, like a, a Gibson 335 or a Gretsch. You know the difference. It has to do with tone and clarity and this morning, I'd like us to think about our tone as Christians. What do we sound like to the world? And I'm not just talking about what we say. I mean our lives. What do our lives sound like? You may have heard of a, a book, one of Philip Yancey's recent, recent books, pardon me. It's called Vanishing Grace. How many of you have read it? It is a wonderful book. Um, I was talking to Dr. Wooden not that long ago, and he said that the book was prophetic. I tend to agree with him, but one of the things that Yancey says in this book is the following quotation. He says, as a Christian, I have a deep concern about how we represent our faith to others. We are called to proclaim good news of forgiveness and hope, yet I keep coming across evidence that many people do not hear our message as good news. Maybe that resonates with you. But why is this the case? Why is this a fact so often? I want to use Romans 12 to help us out, to help us wrestle with this this afternoon. Let's set the stage with Romans. This is in many senses Paul's magnum opus. He starts off in chapter 1 and says explicitly in chapter 3 that everyone, every single one of us has fallen short of God's standard. Our natural disposition is to straight arm God, to say thanks but no thanks, I'll do it on my own, and we all know what happens when we go down that road. But God in his amazing grace, Paul tells us, justifies us when we put our faith in Christ. He makes us right with God because of what Christ has done. And Jesus' death, as we just have remembered, especially during the Easter season, Jesus' death is God willingly and lovingly serving our sentence, taking what we deserved. 
And in Romans 5, Paul puts it this way. Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or in Romans 8, in a line which somebody really should turn into a hymn, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. But then we come to Romans 12. Yes, I skipped the difficult part from 9 to 11. But we come to Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, says Paul, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Something vitally important not to do this morning or any other time. We can't view Romans 1 to 11 as the doctrinal main course and then treat Romans 12 and following as the optional after-dinner mint. <laughs> In other words, the practical outworkings, the practical implications of the gospel are part and parcel with the truth of the gospel. Not an add-on, not a sidebar. And our passage, which Grace read for us, and thank you, Grace, for reading that, gives us an idea of what being a living sacrifice and what this transformation is all about. When we accept the gospel, what does it look like? What do our lives look like? And in short, as I know you have been talking about in chapel this semester, it looks like the fruit of the Spirit, which Paul unpacks in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it could probably go without saying that to ignore the commands to cultivate this fruit in our lives is to go against the grain of our faith and our growth as Christians. But it would also be a shame for this reason. People are watching. The world is watching. Yancey, in his book, talks about something that should be patently obvious, but sadly, we often don't see it. And it's this, why would anyone want what we say we have in Christ if it doesn't make a profound difference in our lives? What would be the point? Why would anyone want what we say we have in Christ if it doesn't prompt someone to say, wow, I want to respond like that? I want this in my life, or I want to live like that. There's so much that we could focus on this morning. But I, I just want to focus on two things. And the first is this. Paul basically says here, don't get even. Don't try to get even when somebody does something wrong to you, or somebody slights you. And the temptation here, I think, is to say, well... You know, when I'm angry, I'm not going to go slash Glenn's tires because he gave me a bad mark on a test. <laughs> In other words, I'm not going to get big-time revenge. That was completely hypothetical. <laughs> that, uh, that, that flat tire you had back in 2002, I, I didn't think... <laughs> Paul doesn't say, don't repay evil with evil on a grand scale. He makes a blanket statement. 
The Christian way is not to respond in kind. The standard of life that we have been called to is much higher than revenge. There's no snapping back. There's no slander. There's no gossip. And it's easy to, to kind of get this up here. In practice, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder. And Paul says, do what's noble in the sight of all. You know, know what's funny? History, society admires it when we don't get revenge. What did we celebrate yesterday? Or a lot of people celebrated yesterday, the, the anniversary of the death of Martin Luther King. People appreciate a nonviolent approach, but here's the thing. Often in practice, nobody does this. Nobody refrains from retaliating. It doesn't just have to be physical. It can be verbal. But here's the implicit, <coughs> under-the-surface truth. The transformation brought about by Christ means that we can respond in love and concern for those, even those who have slighted us or hurt us. We don't have to conform to the patterns of this world or society. And it is true, as far as it depends on us, Paul says. In other words, we can't control how other people will respond or act towards us, but we have a responsibility and a call to reflect the love and the patience of God to those in our lives. I can't help but think that that's why Paul says persevere in prayer. Because without prayer, you're not going to be able to do that. Then he says something very curious, and this always, this always gets me. He says, leave room for God's wrath. And again, I think it would be easy to restrain ourselves and just pray, okay, God, then, smoke them out. <laughs> I won't do anything, but, you know, we'll pull a James and John and call down fire from heaven. Verse 20 seems to be saying that God's revenge is a different kind of revenge. A better way. The burning coals way. The gracious Holy Spirit prompted responses that will cause someone to say, you know, I was a real jerk for the way I acted. When we don't respond in kind, maybe, just maybe, that will cause somebody else to think, yeah, I was out of line. Maybe that will be the vehicle or the avenue the Holy Spirit uses to convict somebody. The second thing that I'd like us to focus on this morning is the driving force for all of this. You go back earlier in the passage, and this might be what um, I sometimes like to refer to as a Captain Obvious moment. You know who I mean by Captain Obvious from the commercials? Um, Google it if you don't. What's the driving force for not seeking revenge and actually wanting the best for those who have hurt us? It's love. It's love. And in verse 9, Paul says, love must be sincere or genuine. This word is related to the word we get hypocrite from. It must be the real deal. Our love 
can't be fake. Love must be void of phoniness or pretense. It needs to be the real thing. But Jesus said, didn't he, did he not, that people would know we are his followers by the way that we love and respond to each other. And Yancey talks about in his book, Christians being perceived in two ways. And the first is directly related to this interaction that we have in the church with each other. Sometimes Christians are perceived as being intolerant with each other. I realize that's hard to believe, but sometimes in other places, Christians don't get along. <laughs> they argue over every jot and tittle of doctrine. And folks, can we not agree to disagree on many things? I'm not talking about Jesus' death on our behalf or the resurrection. But there are a host of other things we do not need to start mudslinging over. And are we so focused on being right that we forget we are talking to real people? Another person made in the image of God, not a, an argument to be won or a person to be slammed. As Christians, our only type of disagreement can be respectful and gracious disagreement. doesn't mean that we agree. It just means how we do it needs to be different. And the second thing Yancey talks about in relation to this driving force is related to this us versus them. The insider versus the outsider. The Christian versus the non-Christian. Let me ask you, let me ask all of us, would we still be someone's friend? Would we still go out of the way to love someone, even if they made it clear they do not believe what we believe, and there was no indication that in the near future, maybe even the intermediate future, that they were going to do so? Would we still love them unconditionally? We need to answer with a, a resounding yes, and we need God's help and wisdom to do that. Love must be sincere because people can see right through us when we befriend someone only when there is the potential that they will come to the faith. And the key word here is persevere, perseverance. I've heard countless stories. Faithful spouses who have prayed for, for their spouse for decades they would come to the Lord. And that is the kind of perseverance that we're talking about. Here's another great story. A friend recently told me that one of his colleagues, a fellow surgeon, he's expressed very clearly to his friend that he has no need for God. Absolutely no need for God. Doesn't see any rationale for it, it's just a crutch, feel-good stories, you know what I'm talking about. And this friend gave me the impression that his colleague even poked fun at his faith uh, once in a while. What I admired about my friend's story is this, that he did not deter from loving his colleague and in a non-pressuring way, almost a joking way, encouraged him to think about what he was missing out on. I 
freely confess this morning that instances like that in my own life, I may have backed down or been timid because somebody poked fun at my faith. But here is this friend of mine with his colleague engaging this person, even though he might get a few jabs, even though his friend doesn't see the need for Christ right now. But his friend persists, and he does so with God's help and wisdom. As I close this morning, I just, I want to say something that's a, a little bit different. And maybe you're here, and somebody has made the good news bad news. I can't fix that. Nobody in this room can fix that. But I want to apologize. Because Christians are not perfect people. And sometimes we bring the name of our Lord through the mud. But at the end of the day, I believe that the good news really is good news. And by it, we have peace with God. There is no condemnation in Christ. And this power we have to transform our lives given to us by our risen Lord is beautiful and it's incredible and I invite I invite you to dwell on that fact I invite all of us to dwell on that and for those of us who maybe are discouraged with how we interact with people and maybe our interactions have been negative may we all live in of the gospel so that as far as it depends on us we would reflect the love and the patience and the kindness of our Lord as Joseph reminded us from reading from Psalm 103 Yahweh is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love may we reflect that in our lives let's pray Father, we are grateful uh, to be called your people. We thank you for the love that we have seen most fully and perfectly in Christ. And forgive us for the times when we have turned the good news into bad news. But we thank you that even if grace has sometimes vanished from our lives, it certainly hasn't vanished with you. Help us to live out uh, the love as well as the other fruits of the Spirit, uh, as you empower us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.